welcome Don Gibson. And uh, we're doing our very first podcast about electric cars called Plugging In. And hopefully we'll be doing this for a while because the electric car revolution is well on its way, but it may take a number of years to really penetrate the market. Right now, only 2% of the uh, vehicles sold uh, back in 2020 were electric cars, battery electrics. If you add in plug-in hybrids and hybrid cars, maybe you get to five or 6%, but it's still very small. But the whole auto industry is electrifying, so it's going to be, uh, there's a lot to talk about, wouldn't you say? Absolutely. And uh, thank you, Jim. Yes, I think this is a very interesting time to be talking about plugging in uh, because there's, there's a lot more talk about it. The action uh, can lag quite a bit behind by people actually buying cars, but uh, certainly the automakers are preparing for it, right? Oh, they very much are, and they're announcing the last of their internal combustion platforms, the last of their gas engines. They're saying that all of their vehicles will be electric by a certain date, some as soon as 2025. So the industry has definitely made the switch. And today, we're recording this on December 20th, and the Biden administration announced new guidelines or clean car standards that will get us to uh, 40 miles per gallon fleet average by uh, 2026, which is pretty darn good. It's a whole lot better than the Trump standards and it's better than the Obama standards. It's like an improvement of five to 10% per year. And um, mostly the environmental groups applauded it. There were some naysayers, but some people think it, Biden could have done more, but, uh, I think it's about in line with where we need to be. Yeah, moving the needle is the key, right? And certainly there's a lot of, and uh, I'm a business school dean, so kind of follow the money. There's a lot of investment out there, certainly in green energy, and it looks like it's prepared to uh, prepared to come in, continue for a while significantly. But it will be very interesting whether that money finds a, a good home, right? Whether it finds uh, companies that make sense or uh, some, of the, some of the cases we've had where uh, the companies are a bit oversold. What was that truck manufacturer, Jim? The, uh, the Lordstown no Nokia. Motor one? Was it no Nokia, I believe, that, that, that yeah. had the fuel cell trucks. Yeah, and, and there's big investment by automakers, but... Uh, apparently their technology wasn't really there. Absolutely. I think actually, Don, I wanted to ask you if you, I'm curious about this. A number of the startups have gone public and they're doing it with SPACs. Essentially these companies start out and um, they go looking for companies to acquire and it enables the companies to go public a lot quicker than they would otherwise have. And we have companies like Lucid and Rivian, both uh, went public recently. And um, their stock is, seems to have been doing fairly well. I think it's, the, it's above what the initial price was, though. Uh, Rivian stock has been down like 10%. Have you, have you been following the electric car stocks? 
Yeah, as a, uh, I haven't followed that group in particular, but certainly the trend for SPACs, right, the special purpose acquisition companies is a key one because the money can now be grouped in a company that is looking for opportunities. And so I think certainly overall, the stock prices of electric car, because Tesla has just dominated and has risen so quickly, that sector has been doing very well. But it, it'll be very interesting. I haven't separated out Tesla from that group, um, but it's a much more rocky road for, uh, for everybody else. But as I said, still, there's a lot of money following opportunities. So at the moment, I, I would say it's a bit overheated and we'd have to keep our eye on it. It is a little overheated. And I mean, Tesla is definitely overheated that the value of Tesla is like, like the rest of the auto industry combined is about what Tesla is worth uh, on the basis of the stock price. So it's pretty insane. Yeah, and, we've been like everything. You're sort of focused on the companies that grab attention. And certainly Elon Musk uh, is an engine for attention. Um, but it'll be it'll be lasting value. And who can, you know, the Model 3 really accounts for a lot of a lot of Tesla's success recently, but um, who, which car company is going to be able to have a sort of breakout success with a with a car that people can actually afford? Doesn't that seem like the key element here? Is it the Mustang? Is it? Uh, well, the, wouldn't you say that the Tesla Model 3 pretty much was that car? Yes, yes, but is it accessible for? It's the best-selling car in Europe. Isn't yeah. that insane? <laughs> <laughs> it's impressive. And what's the sticker price? Isn't it still forty thousand or something? Well, by the time you get it out the door, it's going to cost forty plus. But okay. The whole idea was, you know, that it would be starting around thirty or thirty-five. Thirty-five, okay. I'd say, and. I, it's, it's like with any other car we're about to see the uh, ford f-150 lightning electric pickup and they made much of the fact that it's going to start at forty thousand dollars which is really quite a lot less than i thought it was going to start at but good luck finding one that's forty thousand dollars they're going to be a lot more mostly okay because that i i do think ford is smart to focus on the f-150 right it's the most popular selling car in the u.s or, or truck or vehicle in the u.s um that will be impressive and i see what you mean why forty thousand appears to be the kind of magic number for looking like a moderate car price all right i need to i need to get my my numbers up a little bit on what's moderate these days well this is funny because the average car price that americans pay has been creeping up and uh, I think it's over forty thousand dollars now. So that's okay. not uh, it, it's not a huge um, it, it's not a big stretch to ask to start a car at forty thousand and, and call it affordable. Yes. Okay. And but and I think what do you think of the Hertz deal? Because does that get more people into electric cars? Because part of it is people. And this was me before, uh, as you know, I have a Honda Clarity. And I wanted to hear the roar of the engine and feel that acceleration. 
And of course, what you realize in the electric is you'll feel the acceleration. It's just very quiet. And <laughs> I, very quiet. more people need to actually drive these cars. Do you think uh, the rental deals or some of the other, are people being exposed to what it's really like to drive these cars? I think that's a very good part of why rentals are great, because it'll get people into electric cars and trying them. Because as we talked, the industry is going electric rapidly. But right now, the industry is still selling very few electric cars. It's still only like 2% of the market. Right. And there's a number of reasons for this. One, I would say that the automakers are failing at the dealer level to really prepare their dealers to sell the EVs they are already putting out. Ah, okay. I, I would but say that the dealers have not fully gotten on board selling EVs yet. Okay, so they don't know how to sell them. And that's a key part, right? These are your people on the ground. There's a Sierra Club um, study on this that looked at like what happens if you walk in and ask to look at the electric cars. A lot of times they'll say things like, well, we don't have one charged up or we don't have one at all or oh, no. uh, come back tomorrow or my, my friend bought a um, mini, an electric mini, and he had the most incredible nightmare uh, purchase, just finding out wh where it was, when he was going to get it, any information at all. They were just so, it was, it was like the worst buying experience he'd ever had. That's and, fascinating. Uh, so it's that final, um, it's the final link in the supply chain, as with many things, um, the sales chain, if you will. Uh, do we also have a bi-coastal effect where they're selling far more east and west coast and we have to bring along the middle? Or have you seen that trend? Well, it's it's not. Yeah, I would say it's largely bi-coastal, but more specifically, it's 50 percent or more just in California. California. That's, that's okay. half of the EV market in that one state, which is not ideal. And uh, you're going to see if you looked at the map, it would be pretty much the two coasts with California being the darkest of the, of the, sp the spots. Okay. Of the places where it happens. Yeah. Yeah. California has the best incentives. I recently did a, a look at some of the incentives and most of the Midwestern states or the Southern states just do not have any incentives for electric vehicles. And they're still overpriced. They're still too expensive and uh, they really need to, uh, be subsidized at this point, though I would say that point, that won't be true much longer. Okay. Well, we are just about out of time in our first podcast. Um, just we're going to have this sort of format where we talk to each other, Don and I, and then we introduce our first guest. And then we'll do a little wrap up after we talk to the guest. So uh, let's just go on to our, our, our segment now. If that's okay with you, Don. Sounds good. Thanks. We are talking to Sam Abul Samid, who is the principal analyst for e-mobility at Guidehouse Insights. And our topic is electrification versus autonomy. It's a fascinating subject because what people thought was going to happen didn't actually happen. Instead of autonomy being realized before the full electrification of the automobile, it looks like the reverse of that is going to happen. It looks like we will be fully electrified before we reach what you might call level three or level four autonomy. 
And Sam is an expert in both these things. So I thought uh, he can totally contradict me. He's free to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but what, what do you think, Sam? Um, well, yeah, I, I think, uh, you know, the early projections that uh, we'd all be riding around in robo taxis by 2020 were always wildly optimistic. In, in fact, some of those projections, you know, expected that we'd have widespread deployment of robo taxis in 2018. Uh, those, those were always absurdly optimistic, and it was never never a realistic proposition uh, and I think you know one of the one of the funniest papers I ever read was a few years ago uh, a rethink X paper written by Tony Seba uh, projected that by 19 by 2030 95 percent of all passenger miles would be in autonomous vehicles <laughs> and that's that's not going to happen well, the um, futurists said all kinds of wild things like that and and Elon Musk said he was going to have what a hundred thousand Robo taxis on uh, no it was a million by a the million. end of 2020 Sorry. yeah um, again, you know, he'll, he'll probably, you know, Tesla will probably be one of the last to actually be able to deploy a robo taxi, not the first, um, for a, a wide variety of reasons that we may or may not get into today. Yeah. Well, there, there certainly have been challenges to, um, to Tesla saying that it has full service, uh, autonomy on its cars now when the reality is rather far from that. But, uh, will do you think that, do you see any uh, roadblocks to electrification happening on the timetable they're talking about? I mean, it seems to me that they're they've firmly committed. Like if you if you say we're no longer going to be building gas engines or this is our last gas engine program, that's kind of definitive. I mean, th th there isn't a really plan B there. Yeah, you know, I think you know the the key difference between. Um, electrification and automated driving is that the, the technology for electrification exists. It works. We know how to do it. We, we, from, a, from a technical standpoint, we know how to make 100% of our vehicles electric today. We can do that. The automated driving technology is nowhere near mature enough to go 100% autonomous today or anytime in the foreseeable future. Um, so from a as I said, from a technical standpoint, yes, we can. It's it's absolutely doable. On the 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 big question is not the technology, but rather um, the supply chains, the materials. Um, you know, basically getting enough of the necessary components to actually build that number of electric vehicles, and also you know the supporting infrastructure, charging and and uh, beefing up the grid uh, in order to be able to support you know. Uh, well, if we were to replace the entire vehicle fleet, you know, just over a billion vehicles globally uh, with EVs, uh, there's a lot of work that needs to be done there. But it's, it's nothing that we don't understand how to do. It's just a matter of actually executing on that, getting uh, more of the key uh, raw material resources being produced, uh, getting the battery plants built, and, and then converting over the assembly plants to building EVs. Some of the most challenging yeah, Toyota things announced. I'm sorry, but some of the most challenging things we're seeing is like uh, conflict metals. You might say mm -hmm. like the cobalt that are that is in uh, electric car batteries, all coming from the Democratic Republic of the Congo, which is neither democratic nor a, nor um, a republic. And um, I, I see proposals 
for that. But Don, I wanted to bring you in at this point to ask you, did you think that uh, autonomy was happening faster than this? I mean, did, did you think that the autonomous car would be something you'd be driving soon, you or your family? I guess I was not in that camp. I, I was uh, in the camp of, it seems like long distance trucking has got to be a major area for autonomous vehicles, right? So that, and they were optimistic about that as well. Like I think it was, you could tell us Sam, but next year or something. Uh, so I certainly, certainly sounded like it was making, uh, making great progress in that area. Yeah, I mean, we, we are absolutely making a lot of progress on automated trucking. Uh, you know, I don't I don't think we're going to see any uh, you know notable volumes of actual automated trucks without safety operators in them in 2022 uh, or probably even in 2023. Uh, you know, 2024. You know, maybe by the end of 23, I think you know several companies are looking at running truly you know autonomous trucks without safety drivers in them on selected routes uh in that time frame and you know then gradually building up from there uh, but you know goods goods movement in general whether it's long-haul trucking uh middle mile deliveries uh or last mile deliveries are actually the the places where we're going i expect we're going to start seeing uh automated driving technology being deployed the soonest uh you know from a from a, both a technical and an economic standpoint, it's a lot easier to implement than uh, car uh, carrying passengers um, because passengers have the, especially for something like a robo-taxi, more so than, um, you know, for a shuttle or a bus, you know, they have the expectation, you know, today with, with taxis or ride-hailing services of being able to go from any arbitrary point in a city to any other arbitrary point, you know, getting there as quickly, as safely as possible. And that has a lot of operational challenges for automated vehicles but for deliveries it's it's a much more predictable um, use case and that's actually where i think we will start to uh, see it being deployed more broadly at least through probably the 2027 28 time frame well there's what's called yeah. the last mile delivery which is uh getting things from the warehouse to the delivery point. And actually we're seeing that electrifying at a very rapid pace. And a number of companies are deploying these uh, electric delivery vans that are gonna be part of the landscape very soon. And maybe that's moving even faster than uh, automation in that sphere. Yeah, actually, um, you know, electrification is is an important enabling technology for automated driving because when you start stacking up all these sensors uh, and all the compute that's necessary for an automated vehicle, um, they actually consume a lot of electrical power. Uh, and current generation internal combustion vehicles, you know, with 12 volt electrical systems, um, they only produce about two to two and a half kilowatts of electrical power. And many of these automated driving systems are still are still consuming anywhere from two to four kilowatts of power just in just for that automated driving system. That's before you even start talking about propulsion or any of the other systems in the vehicle, like lights and doors and climate control. Uh, whereas, you know, with an electric vehicle or a even a hybrid, you know, even a 48 volt mild hybrid, 
can produce 10 to 12 kilowatts. So you have enough reserve electrical power to drive those things. So it, it is a key enabler. And so that's, this is why we're seeing most of the AVs that the that, uh, prototype AVs that are out there are either um, fully electric or um, some form of hybrid, or, you know, either hybrid or plug-in hybrid uh, in, in most use cases. Don, you drive a, a Honda Clarity hybrid. Um, do you think that your next car is going to be an electric car? And uh, what what would an acceptable range be for you? Yeah. So yes, I have a plug-in plug-in hybrid. Which so you're I you're love. kind of used uh, to the idea of plugging it in then. Definitely, definitely. I just do it every night. If I had plug-in at work, I could be completely electric now, but I don't. So I run out about halfway home. Uh, but absolutely, any vehicle we next buy will be all electric. We've already uh, already talked about that. Um, I, the key for me is longer distance trips. Like and now I can get myself, I guess, down to uh, Washington, D.C., um, and that'll take care of a good portion of the, of the trips. But I guess the next point is, can I, you know, if I can get 300 miles of range out of it or 250, I think I'd be, I'd be fine with that. And, and that is in, in fact, what we are seeing. Isn't that, isn't that true, Sam? I mean, there are, uh, there's amazing cars like the Lucid Air that has like 570 miles of range in its top model, but it does seem like 250 to 300 miles is becoming the new norm. Would you say that was right? Yeah, absolutely. You know, and I think really, you know, anything over 250 um, for a mainstream vehicle uh, is is pretty much the sweet spot. You know, most I think the statistic is something like um, over 75 percent of all daily driving is less than 40 miles a day. So you know, any pretty much any EV on the road today could meet you know, almost everyone's, you know, typical usage without, uh, without any problem. Um, you know, then when you start stacking on some of the, the extra energy consumption things like cold weather, you know, if you, you and I both live in places that, uh, you know, that, that, uh, you know, get some severely cold weather and that, and that is a significant hit on, uh, en on the energy use and the, the range of a vehicle. But when you get to, you know, that 250, mile or so um, level you've got plenty of reserve there that almost everyone can do pretty much all of their normal driving without you know and just plug in at night and never never have to worry about range anxiety and then to you know on top of that we're uh, adding in you know faster and faster dc fast charging systems and expanding the networks of both uh, level two AC charging and level three DC fast charging. Uh, I was just out in California last week to drive the new Hyundai Ionic 5, uh, which is one of the first uh, EVs, the um, first mainstream EV. Uh, you know, when I say mainstream, I mean you know relatively more affordable, not something like a Porsche Taycan or that Lucid Air, you know, which are both well over a hundred thousand dollar vehicles. Uh, but the the um, uh, the Ionic 5 is starting at uh, just shy of $40,000 uh, before tax incentives. And it uh, will charge from 10 to 80% uh, state of charge of its battery. So go from, you know, about uh, 20 miles to, uh, you know, uh, over 200 miles of range in just 18 minutes. 
So, you know, with expansion of networks from Electrify America and, and uh, ChargePoint and EVgo, in addition to, you know, what uh, Tesla is doing with superchargers for those, uh, those owners, uh, you know, I think the, the problem of range anxiety is rapidly going away. Yeah, and of course, range anxiety was being used as justification for something like, uh, this is why we need fuel cell cars, because they solve the range problem. They have 300 miles of range. But now, since it can cost one to two million dollars to build a uh, hydrogen fueling station, uh, the, the use case for hydrogen vehicles is, really escapes me at this point. But uh, I certainly can see People still talk about it. It still gets a lot of lip service, especially from government officials that I don't quite understand. But um, I, I don't think we're going to see a hydrogen energy economy. I, I don't see that happening. Um, I, I, well, I think, think we're, if, if you actually had to guess, Sam, well, actually, I'm going to ask you both this. Uh, Sam, when would you say that we will have fully autonomous cars without steering wheels or accelerator pedals or anything like that? Um, uh, I would say for vehicles that are capable of going anywhere, anytime, uh, probably not till the mid 2030s at the earliest and perhaps not ever. Um, but for, you know, so-called level four vehicles, which are fully autonomous within a restricted operating domain, um, you know, which means that could be, uh, based on geography based on a certain location uh, so operating in a certain in a given city center area uh, or it could be bit limited by weather it's, it can be the criteria the criteria can be anything those uh, we will start we're, we've actually got some of those vehicles on the road now being tested and we will start to see those being commercially deployed uh, perhaps uh, as soon as later in 2022 but again those those are vehicles that operate in a limited area they can't just go anywhere um, they, they can only go to certain locations and those are also not vehicles that you're going to be able to buy those are vehicles that are operating in mobility service applications like robo taxis or delivery vehicles so don i know we were promised jet packs and all that but um would you be i want my flying car <laughs> oh yeah right. would you be disappointed don if you never get to drive uh to sit in the back of your car and have it drive you someplace Oh, no, I, I like to drive myself. I don't mind driving at all. So, yeah, I wasn't really looking forward to that, that particular well, day. You're, anyway. you're, you're in line uh, with BMW, which uh, thinks that, well, that, you know, that cars, people will want to keep driving even after we have autonomous cars. But well, I, think uh, the, I think we're the at the end of our time here. Um, our guest has been Sam Abul Samid. He's the principal analyst for e-mobility at Guidehouse Insights. And uh, thank you for being with us, Sam. Always a pleasure to talk with you, Jim. Uh, nice to meet you, Don. <laughs> nice to thank you, Sam. That was very illuminating. I'm back with Don. And um, I found it, it, it's really quite interesting that at one point, electrification and autonomy were neck and neck. They could have, um, autonomy could have happened before electrification. That is now totally a poke pipe dream. It's not going to happen. Uh, electrification is way ahead of autonomy. And we really don't even have a good timetable for autonomy anymore. So um, if those two things were in a race, electrification won, I think it's fair. 
It's funny because Sam covers both autonomy and electrification. He's very well versed in both. And um, I, I think it's pretty clear the direction we're going at this point. And most companies have put autonomy on the back burner now while they're, you know, it's all speed ahead for electrification. I thought Sam's point about the fact that for autonomous vehicles, you need an incredible amount of power, right? You need, and so it really needs to be, uh, electrification needs to kind of proceed it in a way I'm interpreting what he was talking about. But when you've got that many computers on board, I had not really thought that through. That's very interesting. I saw some stuff about that early on in the autonomy process. And then, you know, in the same way electric cars can get overhyped as we were talking about earlier, I think it's true that uh, autonomous cars got overhyped. And certainly, you know, when you had people like Elon Musk talking about a million autonomous taxis, I mean, that that was so premature. And um, really getting beyond level two is just totally premature now. I mean, to, to just talk about it, I, I don't see it happening. I, there's a concept, I don't think we mentioned it earlier, called geofencing. Yes. And you basically say that, okay, electric cars can operate in a specific area, which is called geofenced. And uh, as long as they stay within that area, which is extremely well mapped out, they'll be able to operate autonomous, autonomously. So you could have like a bus route within a geofenced area. Right, I, think, I see a set route almost. That's, Sam made that point, right? That it's, and these sizes are not, the size of the fence is not that big. No, it's like, say you were on a college campus and you could wanted a shuttle bus to take you around the campus. That works. Right, good point. Well-known roads, that's right, uh, that you could completely map out but random routes, it sounds like they are not there yet. No, no. And uh, the idea of autonomous taxis, which could be asked to go anywhere in a large area uh, in very thick traffic, there's, there's so many things that will derail uh, autonomy right now. And I think we figured out how on limited access highways, we can operate them safely. We've got to that point, but that's level two. Level three and level four are still very far away. Right. And then and then Musk has not helped the safety aspect at all with uh, with Tesla's experiments with um, highway driving. Right. Right. I think he is consistently overhyped and under um, underdeveloped the autonomous systems on. I think he should really dial that back. It's not all that important that Teslas be autonomous at this point. It's right. just it's just important they be good electric cars. Well, we are um, just about out of time, Don. Um, this is our very first plugging in podcast, and um, we will make this a pretty regular feature. I hope you tune in and listen to what we have to say, and especially the many interesting guests we're going to have. So um, you have a good evening, and uh, I'll see you next time. We'll see you.